Church, I'm, I love this church. If you had Memorial Day plans, I'm sure you're frustrated right now, um, and I apologize, but it's nothing I can do. I am glad you're here, though. So selfishly, I'm just, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, this morning, we are continuing on in our series in James, and can you believe it? We are halfway through the book. So we've been in it, I think, for about eight weeks, maybe nine, I didn't look, but around that amount of time, and we are halfway through the book. Uh, And so what I want to do for us this morning is, um, if you feel like you're walking in, no one likes to feel like they're walking into a movie when it's halfway done. So I would like to just take a quick moment, catch us up with where we've been very quickly, uh, so that we can kind of set the stage for where we are today. We started this series, if you remember, on Easter. And we talked about how the resurrection of Jesus changed James forever. We know James is Jesus's little brother. Uh, So Jesus is James' big brother. He grew up, James, as we talked about, not being really a believer, a follower of Jesus, which we can all understand. He was his brother, right? And so one thing was, though, that James was able to be an eyewitness of Jesus's life, his ministry, his arrest. Um, And eventually, this brother watches his older brother be executed, be um, crucified. But then something happened that forever changed James' life, and that was he saw Jesus resurrected. It set James' life on a different path. Uh, we, We know that James then became the leader, pastor of the most prominent church in the ancient world, which is the church of Jerusalem. It was kind of the mothership for all churches. It all flowed from there. And James was the lead leader, the pastor there. He was a man of incredible influence. Uh, and that led him to write this letter, incredibly practical. And if you've been here for the few weeks, incredibly challenging. I think every week we walk away feeling like, oh, okay, need to work on that. Oh, I didn't see that. And so it's been incredibly um, convicting. We started in this letter, and we started by just talking about Christian suffering, right? How do we as Christians approach hurt, hurt in the world, approach suffering, approach persecution? And James says, this is the way you look at it, that you count it all joy. We moved from that, and we moved into what wisdom looks like. That what wisdom is, it's not just knowing a bunch of stuff, it's actually having the ability to put it in action, that godly wisdom applies what we know. We moved in uh, in the third week, and we talked about being both hearers and doers of the word. This is a week that I remember, it just marked me, um, that it's not okay to just come and hear and hear and hear and hear more and hear more and do nothing with what we've heard. That James calls us to be a, both a hearer and a doer of the word. And how does that look? Well, one thing, which we're gonna spend some time talking, as you've imagined, uh, is a bridled tongue, that if you're, you're both a hearer and a doer of the word, that you're going to be able to bridle your tongue. We're going to land on that in a little bit. But also, you're going to have a heart for those who are hurting. James calls us to look outside of ourselves and to care for those we talked about out there and also to have no partiality in here. And so James calls us to look at each other a little differently, to look at each other the way God looks at us and not the way... Um, as James says, with evil motives. And then he asks, what does pure religion look like? And James calls us then 
that it's, it's lived out when you care for those who are in need. And that brought us to last week in, in chapter two when we talked about that funny balance between faith and works. And we talked about that, James reminds us, we're, we're saved by grace and faith alone, right? Faith alone, it's nothing we do, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so we talked about how a true faith is then lived, demonstrated, um, and it's, it's tangible. You can see it. And so today, that, that sets the stage for us. Um, James could have picked a lot of topics, but instead he lands again on the tongue. It's like he knew that we were going to struggle with this one, right? Uh, he lands again on the tongue. Uh, I wanna, we're going to be in James 3. And by the way, I want to bring this up. We, if you don't have a Bible this, this morning, or not just this morning, but if you don't have a Bible uh, we have a table back there with these on it, and I just want to invite you. This is our gift to you. No strings attached. We don't need a card. We don't need anything. Just on your way out, grab one. This is our gift to you, okay? But this morning, we're going to be in James 3, and let's just jump right in. Uh, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So in this context, James is dealing with teachers, Right, uh, those who want to stand up and teach, uh, it's a call for the church to kind of limit, for us to self-limit those who are handed a microphone. Makes sense? So it's a call to, to teachers. And this isn't a um, kind of the only elite among us or only the holiest should teach. It's not like that. What James is calling us to do is to consider the responsibility that come with the role of teacher, especially in the church. And what it should do is, is just allow us to have kind of a check for those of us who step into this, to this role. And uh, James is going to give us some pretty vivid examples here in a moment of, of ways to picture this and look forward to that. But in, in this context, uh, and it's similar to our context, our context today, the role of teaching standing up and being able to talk to a group of people carries with it, um, respect isn't the right word, but influence, I would say. That when you stand up here, you have the ability to kind of share your ideas, to share. James was addressing that tendency to see a platform as a way to further your own agenda and to not know the responsibility, the weight that it, and so in the church, that weight should be all the more. And James is calling us then to, to consider the weight that comes with teaching. And he's addressing that tendency for us to step into teaching with, pure, with a less than pure motives. Because the reality is there should be a little bit of a weight, a healthy amount of weight when it comes to teaching. I think we know this, but how, how incredible and amazing, how heavy, how beautiful is it that we get to hold this in our hands? And I'm not talking about the leather or, no, God's word that we get to, uh, we get to, as his people, we get to actually read and study. We get to understand. We get to think about the, the words of God. I hope that sinks in. The words of God, we get to, a lot of people gave their lives to make this possible, and we get to hold it. Now, that being true, how heavy, how incredible, how beautiful is it to be able to teach this to other people, to be able to, to teach this to un other people, to be able to tell people what God has said about himself. 
Um, to be able to tell people what God has said about them, what God has said about their, the world, what God has said about their condition. James is saying, my brothers, feel that weight. Feel that weight. Um, he says that we will be judged with greater strictness. Notice he uses the word we, which means he's counting himself into that. Uh, there's a certain level of humility there, and he wants us to feel that weight. And I know some of you, just right off the bat, we're going to move on, but I know some of you, you have a heart to teach. I know some of you are going to teach. I know some of you are going to lead one of our community groups. You're going to teach in that. I know some of you are going to teach in some of our classes. I know some of you have the heart to teach our kiddos. I know that some of you have a heart to preach. Some of you have a heart to, to even pastor. Um, my hope, honestly, all cards on the table, is that one day we get to plant a church, not just one, but several and that we're sending, we're your ascending church. And my heart is that some of you step into that. For those of you who that is you, James is saying, don't take what you're stepping into lightly. Don't take it lightly. Feel the healthy amount of weight that comes with being a teacher. Instead, by the grace of God, just step into that and know that your role is important. And let's read just how important. Let's continue. Verse two says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Real quick, note, notice the change in the language. So he started in verse one saying we, like personal pronoun there, uh, we, uh, as know that we who teach. Now in verse two, he shifts and he says we all. It's a more inclusive. What's going on there? What's going on there? Um, this is, he's still dealing with teachers, okay? He's still dealing with teachers. But what he does is he broadens his scope a little bit in front of the church, and he says, we all, using this inclusive language. Because think about it. The tongue, our mouth, our words, it's a primary tool for a teacher, right? We get that. It's also a tool, though, that every one of you get the privilege of wielding every day. And so James here goes, is addressing teacher, and then he just takes it and broadens it a little bit so that we can feel the weight of it. For those of you who say, I'm not really a teacher, he broadens it because guess what? Influence is not, doesn't just reside in teachers. Many of you here would say, I, I'm not a teacher, but you have incredible amounts of influence in your sphere of influence with your words. And James here is calling us, just kind of pulling it out um, so that we can feel the weight of this, of this too. And, and I say this again, he's not, he's not taking his focus away from teachers. He's expanding it. He's expanding it so that we can feel the power of our words and our influence. And we're going to get there. Uh, now, James is going to give us some examples the first two are positive. He puts the tongue in a positive light. The, the last one, the third one, is anything but positive, okay? So we're going to walk through the, these examples together. Let's start first with the positive. Uh, verse 3 said, If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So we have bits and rudders, we have horses and, um, and boats. In each of these examples, we have something very tiny, very small, it's tiny in size, directing, guiding, steering, something that is massive. Okay, so for, for the horse, we have this bit that allows this, this, this rider to kind of dictate where that horse goes. Uh, for the boat, we have uh, this, this vessel that is being tossed for, by the waves, but yet because of this one little rudder, um, the pilot has the, the opportunity to steer, to direct that entire, that entire boat. In the same way, James says, your tongue, real small, real tiny, has a way of directing and guiding large things. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Um, think about this. Every idea, every movement, um, every revolution, whatever you want to call it, is led and guided by words. Every one is led and guided by words, some for the good, some for the not so good. Uh, words have a way of, of guiding entire groups of people, organizations, even nations, to accomplish incredible things. I think of, um, how about the 95 Thesis that were, that were hung on a door that sparked a movement for Protestantism? Just right there, just words. I think of our nation. I, we, we were founded because of ideas, ideas that were put into words, that were fought for, that were sacrificed for. Um, I think of, um, I have a dream. Just simple words that sparked a movement toward racial um, reconciliation. The tongue is small, so small, but incredibly powerful. Um, think about this theologically for a moment. Um, words are the main instrument by which God has chosen to bring people to himself. They're the main instrument, the main tool. They're so important that God chose to use the proclamation of the gospel, both written and spoken, as the way to bring people to himself. There's Incredible power with that. Uh, more than that, think of this. Everything we see, this world, all creation was created by the word of God. Words are powerful. Um, we've said this before, but there have been countless numbers of people that have gone before us and who have given their life so that we have the opportunity to hold this, read this, study this on our own because they understood words are powerful because through this we know, through the word of God, we know God. We know the salvation in Christ. It's because of words. So church, words are important um, for the good and also sometimes for the negative. Let's look at the second or the third example, which is not quite as positive. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty bold right there. Uh, James, of course, you, you feel this not being as positive as the first. Um, for those of you who grew, who've kind of grown up in South Texas, you know that what we're experiencing weather right now is not normal, Right? You know that. I think we've been in drought since I was like three years old. 
We're just always in drought. It's just sometimes less of a drought than other times. Uh, This is not normal, and especially in the summer months. I remember growing up... I played soccer growing up, so I was in grass a lot. And I remember those, those summer months when the grass is no longer green, it's more gold, and it crunches. Like when you step on it, it's like, crick, crick, crick. that's not good. That's no, in, in, those, in those seasons, you, if you, you feel like if you look at the grass wrong, it's going to start on fire. Like it's just like, it is just so dry. That's normal. So in that season, let's think of a normal San Antonio summer here. How powerful is a spark. How powerful is a single and small spark? It has the potential for to destroy an entire forest, honestly, an, instru- an entire region. It has the potential for such incredible destruction. Just one simple, small spark. And in the same way, James says, as small as your tongue is, it has the potential for incredible amounts of destruction. And we're going to bring this, kind of look at this in a personal way in a, in a moment, but for those who desire to teach, you, I mean, you need to wrestle with this. You need to wrestle with this, that your words have power to direct, to steer, to guide, to for the good, and also to destroy an entire region like a spark. Like we need to wrestle with that. I want to do one thing that might be a little weird. Uh, I want to go to another biblical example, probably not on your radar. That's fine. Uh, We're going to go a little Old Testament for a moment in Genesis 11. I believe this is one of the most powerful and vivid examples of the power of words uh, that I could think of, honestly. And um, I want to look through this text. You don't have to go there with me. I'm going to have it on the screen for us. There it is. Uh, We'll have it on the screen for you uh, to follow along. Let me just start. It says, the whole earth had one language and the same words. So we said language and words are important, right? Let's look at just how important. Uh, Verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower, its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So this is, this is Tower of Babel account. Uh, what's going on here? So we have a group of people that were united under one common language, one message, and that could have been used for some incredible good, couldn't have? That one language could have been used to create a movement that would worship the one true God. They could have used that movement to glorify God, but it was more like a spark, unfortunately. What happened here? They began to use their words to form a movement to what? Make a name for themselves against and apart from God. So, Right here, you see the way the words have created a movement that has taken an entire people away from God. They preoccupied themselves with this project to build this this project, to build, to make not God's name famous, but to make their name famous. There was a big shift and there was a movement. A spark had united. It spread over the people. Let's see what happens. In verse five, it says, and the Lord 
I love this, came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, don't rush past this because in all of their crazy efforts, all of their crazy building to make this tower touch the heavens, it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be huge. In all of that effort, the image we get is that God couldn't see it from his throne in heaven and he had to just kind of step down and say, what is going on? And he had to come down to see it. There's a, there's a certain level of, of irony there. Um, he came down to see it. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Language is important. Amen? Words are important. Verse 7, come let us go down and there confuse their language so that they might not understand one another's speech. Now, don't miss this. God crippled the most powerful movement, human movement ever known, all united under one purpose. God crippled that movement by simply confusing their language. And as he did, the movement along with the tower crumbled. Words are incredibly powerful. And the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So words here are powerful. They have incredible power behind every movement, both for the good or for the bad. There are words. Um, understand, your tongue is not an evil thing. It's a powerful thing that needs to be controlled and used for the glory of God. Um, it is incredibly powerful for the good. I think of building each other up. I think of communicating truth, sharing the gospel, instructing, expressing love, expressing hope, peace, to encourage, to worship, to lead movements that bring glory to God. Those are words and they're powerful for the good, but also for evil as we tear each other down. We lie, we slander, we gossip. Um, we lead people away from the truth. We distort the gospel. Uh, we destroy hope. We discourage. We lead movements that are against God himself and that we cry out against God. Your words are both beautifully powerful and terribly destructive. In them are both life and death. And so I wanna go out on a limb and say that every one of us here are a product of the words that have been spoken to us or about us. And I want us to just take a moment and, and think personally, um, just very practically, just think personally about our history and the way we've been marked by words. Um, when you were mistreated or dumped, and that stuck with you, um, when, how about when you were called fat, ugly, slow, and you've spent your whole life fighting against that identity? I will not be fat. I will not be slow. Um, how about when you were called pretty or smart and that became like the highlight of your decade? Uh, how about when you were called a weirdo and now your whole life you have spent trying to fit in? And the worst thing in the world for you to, is, to not, is to stick out. You're marked by the words that were spoken to you. How about when you were told you weren't good enough and now everything you do is to prove them wrong? When you were told you weren't, weren't going to make it and you spend your whole life 
saying, no, I will, I will, I will. I've met old men who have spent their entire life trying to gain approval from their disapproving dad who has long since passed away. These words are real. I have uh, seen businesses that have been started as a result of being fired and having conflict with words, and because of that, a business has started to prove them wrong. Unfortunately, I've seen churches that have started because of bitterness, because of words that were spoken. Words are incredibly powerful. Um, James here not only calls us to look in at the way we've been affected by words, but for a moment, can you consider the impact that you're having right now with your words? Friends, your words matter. Moms and dads, the words that come out of your mouth matter. They have power. The words you speak to your coworkers, your employees, those matter. Those matter. Words are powerful. Verse 7 will continue in, in James. Um, I love this, this part. It says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, that little tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. How cool is that? Because isn't it true? We can tame the wildest lion, the most aggressive dog. We can, we can train them. We can tame them. We have people who have pet chimpanzees and tigers and I don't get it, but like pythons and it's just crazy. We can tame the wildest creatures, but no one in all of history, no person in all of human history has ever, apart from Jesus Christ himself, been able to keep this little guy under control. I love this analogy because it's, it's incredibly true. Um, verse nine, it says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That is an incredibly true and powerful verse. That for some of us in this room, we are worshiping God at 10.30 a.m., and at 2 p.m., we're yelling at our spouse. James is calling this out and saying, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In your mouth, you have an incredibly powerful tool. And so the question that we are wrestling with is how are you using it? How are you using that tool? That small, tiny, powerful tool. Is it a rudder to direct, to safety, to harbor? Is it, is it a bit that guides um, to safety for usefulness? Or is it that spark that ignites a fire of destruction? How are you using your tongue and James says, this using your tongue for both blessing and cursing, brothers, this should not be so. And so for those of you who are here in this room who, who feel like teaching is something that God might be leading you to, I want to invite you to, to really do some uh, soul searching here 
in these moments, and let me just be, let me be real transparent. Uh, this text is really hard to stand up and preach. It really, really is. Because um, if you think about it, I'm a preacher. I get to kind of talk for a living. Um, there's weight in that. There's a lot of weight in that. I, uh, one of the main things that I love about what I get to do is I get to stand and, and pour into this and then kind of teach it. And I, I absolutely love what I get to do. But this text reminds me that out of the same mouth that proclaims the gospel is the same mouth that I can use to just tear someone down, raise my voice, lie, gossip, all of that. Same mouth. More scary, though, is it for me, that out of the same mouth that I get the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, it's out of that same mouth that I could potentially mislead and distort the gospel. There is a responsibility here. And so as I stand up here and get to the privilege of looking at James 3, this text really does slap me on the cheek as it comes out. If there was ever a text that I have wrestled with, uh, I mean, specifically, it's, it's this uh, it calls me to, to look at myself and to take an inventory of the way that I use my tool. And if you're a teacher, I want you to know, you have the opportunity to speak both life and death. You have that opportunity. You have the opportunity to speak God's truth or your agenda. You have that opportunity. And that's what James is calling us to do. And he's calling us to consider our sphere of influence. Consider those in your life who listen to you. We all have people in our life that listen to us. And so James is calling us to think your home, your relationships, your office, your school, your community group, your church. You have a sphere of influence around you. How are you using your tongue, your tool in those spheres? How are you using your tongue? Because with great power comes great responsibility. And if you just consider what if we used our tongues for the good? Like the impact that we would have in our homes, in our church, in our community, it would be a movement. I mean, it would be incredible. No one has ever been able to do it. <laughs> but if we can, as a church, allow this to draw ourselves back and convict us on this, imagine what God could do through the power, his power through our tongues. Um, you're, uh, well, I want to go into this. We're, we're getting close to the end of time. For some of us in this room, I know, when I was reading this, uh, I know that there are those of us in this room who have been hurt tremendously by words. You need no one to tell you how powerful words are because you feel it. You have felt it. You have lived it. Um, I want to let you know, and I want to plead with you that there is healing in Christ for the carnage that has been set in your life by words. As, as powerful as those words were in your life for destruction, the power of God is greater still. Is greater still, no matter how powerful the words that you've been told in your past, God's message to you is more powerful still. And so I just want to take a moment and remind us of the message that God has spoken to us. That God's message this morning is he's made a way for you and me to know him. 
that God's message for, for us is that we can have a real and vibrant relationship with God himself, that God's message to us is that through his son, he looks at you and sees a son or a daughter. God's message is that you have value. God's message is that you have been created with a purpose. Let no one tell you that you are, that you are pointless. You have been created with a purpose. That God's message to you is that there is hope, love, and peace through his son. God cares about his message. And he cares about the way it's communicated. And my encouragement is that this morning, whatever you've been told about yourself, whatever you've been told about God, that you would compare it to the message, God's message that we see in his word. Some of you are shouldering baggage that this says you don't have to shoulder anymore. So my encouragement is that we allow ourselves to be honest with the way that words have, have really impacted us. Um, your words are powerful and God takes seriously our tongues he takes seriously our tongues because our tongues are the tools that he gave us to use for his glory. Our words are powerful because through him we carry the very message of Christ to a world that needs it desperately. Our words are powerful. And the question is, how are we using our tool? Let me pray for us. God, this is a tough one. There are moments when we, when we read your word and that we realize God, you've called us to be your light, to be your communicators of your message, and so often we, we fail and we repent. When we have fallen short, we repent. When we have used our words that should have been for love and for hope and for peace, God, when we've used those words for slander, for lies, to further our own agenda, to distort your message, God, we repent. And we know that your word says that as we do, that you forgive. And so in our life, as we look at the way we've used our words, God, we just pray that you cover us with your grace and forgiveness. And at the same time, I, I, I pray specifically for us in this room who have been wrecked by the words that have been spoken to us and about us all of our lives. There is healing in you. Your word tells us that. There is identity in you. Your word tells us that. And so God, I pray in these moments that you just allow us to see the lies that we've believed and be able to replace them with the truth that we have read. And we thank you that you're a God who comes in and restores broken things and broken people because we all stand here and we are broken apart from your grace. And so as a church, I pray that as we navigate through this book and you continue to reveal things in us, as much as you reveal the sin in our lives, Father, I pray that even more you reveal the beauty of your grace, that when we fall short, you are there. In Jesus' name, amen.